37, 36 to 50. And if you have your arm and if you have your um, bulletins there, it's part printed out on the page as well. Luke chapter 7, 36. It says, One of the disciples asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, bought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii, the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she had anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I invite Dan forward to bring us the message. Thanks, Tim. Well, just before we hear from God's word, let's come before him in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the word of God that we still have in this country. We thank you. We've got the freedom to come here. We know that in a lot of places within our planet, they're suppressed and oppressed by government rules and regulations. And Father, we thank you and praise you that we can still freely come here today. And we don't take it for granted, Lord. We thank you for the great blessing it is. And Father, we uh, pray in that vein for our brothers and sisters in other countries that are persecuted for you. Because your word says, remember those that are in prison as bound with them and those that suffer adversity as being yourself also in the body. And so, Father, we think of them today in Syria and Afghanistan and African countries and all all over the world, so many places. We remember them today. 
And Father, we thank you and praise you for your word, the amazing wonder of your word. And we pray, Father, that you soften and still our hearts today, make them pliable, open to your word. Break up the fallow ground and may the seed, the word of God, germinate and fall into our hearts and lives and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60 and a hundredfold, to your glory. I pray that you'd hide me behind the cross. May Jesus alone be seen and be glorified. For we ask it in his precious name, the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus, and for his sake. Amen. Over the years, I've asked a lot of people about how they became Christians. How did you become a follower of Jesus Christ? And they say, well, um, I walked an aisle. I put my hand up. I said a little prayer. I was brought up in a Christian home. I had a lady just recently say to me, I was born a Christian. Um, And so you hear all these responses of how they say that they're Christian, that they're a follower of Jesus Christ. And you and I know that, well, they aren't the answers. They're not the biblical answers that we find in here. And you'll notice it's first person singular, I. I did this. I was born. I walked an aisle. I put my hand up. It's got absolutely nothing to do with I. It's all got to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's sola Christos. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. He's the one that saves us and that's why we're here today to praise and thank God for what he's done for you and I. That he's saved us and he's pulled us up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He's set our feet upon a rock. He's established our goings and he's put a new song in our mouth. And that should excite us and make us alive spiritually when we think of all the wonderful things that Jesus Christ has done for us. As we've just heard on the cross of Calvary. Well, let's have a look at this narrative. Jesus is invited to a Pharisee's home for a meal. Isn't that interesting? A Pharisee invites Jesus. I wonder if there were ulterior motives. But you know, as I looked at this, I thought, Jesus never ever refused an invitation. It didn't matter who. From who it came, he never refused an invitation. How good is that? I like that. Never. Never said... Sorry, I'm too busy. I've got to check the stock market. No, sorry, I've, all, I've got a previous other engagement. Um, sorry, I've bought a cow. I've got fields and commitments. Um, I'm getting married. I've got so many other things to do. No, 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 never. Jesus never had an excuse. Never. And so he accepts the invitation. Now, 
this, a, a similar accounts of this are also found in the, uh, the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, but, um, but they are different. Matthew and Mark's accounts take part in the final week of Jesus' life on earth. Luke is early in his ministry. Matthew and Mark, we read that the head of Jesus was anointed, not his feet. In John's Gospel, the anointing is by Mary, the sister of Martha, but in Luke's account, no mention is made of her name. And also the reaction in the other accounts is different than, than uh, what takes place here. There's a complaint about the costliness of the oil or the perfume that was used. And there are more, but I just trust that they'll suffice for us to give us a bit of an idea of there are some uh, other uh, accounts that are similar, but they are... Um, but they do differ. Well, let's have a look at the context. Luke turns his attention away from John the Baptist and describes in narrative how Jesus and the Pharisees relate to sinners. As someone once said, or I may have read it somewhere, east is east and west is west, and never the Pharisee and the sinner meet. So that gives you an idea of the Pharisees. Whoa, we want to keep our distance. Don't get too close to these people. They are the scum of society. You don't want to mix with them. They're like lepers. Keep away from them. But there's good news. The cross is there for the Pharisee and the sinner. It all points to Jesus. So Jesus is invited to the house of a Pharisee and Luke mentions two other times when a Pharisee invites Jesus for a meal. In Luke chapter 11, 37, the Pharisees are Paul that Jesus does not first wash his hands before the meal. The other mention is Luke chapter 14, verse 1, where a Pharisee invites Jesus and the man with the drops, he rocks up and it just happens to fall on the Sabbath day and, of course, there's uh, problems when that all happened, as you and I know, on the Sabbath. So what's Jesus doing? He's reclining. He's not sitting down on a chair, but he's reclining, which meant he would have been most probably on his left arm, would have been reclining with his feet behind him and using his right hand to partake of the food from the table. Now, Simon would have been a wealthy Pharisee. And being a wealthy Pharisee, you had your court yards as well, which were open to the public. So if you invited a rabbi around, he was a VIP. So having the rabbi there, and because of the climate, um, a lot of outdoor entertainment took place. So the Pharisee would have most probably used his courtyard. And so... If you and I were in the village, we could drop in and um, ask the rabbi questions we had. Or maybe you just wanted to watch out of sheer curiosity or some... So here are these people and here are the others that are at the table with Jesus, including the Pharisee. And then, of course, somebody gay crashes the party. Has that ever happened to you? Um, Where you've been eating and next minute gate crashing. I've heard of drive-ins where cars have gone off the street and suddenly (laughs) crashed drive-in house and other other things. And we, um, I spent some years on a farm 
uh, Dad's property down in New South Wales, and we used to have this great big dog who'd gay crash the, the kitchen. But, um, but something like this has never happened to me. That, uh, um, here's this woman whose reputation has preceded her, and she's probably a prostitute, but we don't know 100% sure. She may have suffered rejection because she'd been married and divorced a number of times, or something else. So we're not 100% sure, but it, it is probable that she was uh, a prostitute. And so she would have suffered a lot of rejection and disdain, and uh, people wouldn't have uh, wanted to be associated with her because of who she is. But praise God, Jesus didn't care who you were. Whether you're a Pharisee or a prostitute, his arms, his hands are open for all. So the woman gay crashes the party and begins to anoint the feet of Jesus with an alabaster flask of fragrant oil. Alabaster came from a little, uh, from a city in, uh, probably in the upper regions of Egypt known Alabastron, where they made these stone flasks to um, um, house the, the perfumes and oils and ointments and things like that. And they were, they were like expensive it wasn't your El Cheapo stuff. This is expensive. And, um, and so she comes with her uh, alabaster flask of uh, ointment and um, anoints the feet of Jesus. And she's obviously in deep remorse because she weeps and keeps on weeping uh, because the, um, the present tense of the verb there is ongoing. So she's weeping continually and uh, washing the feet of Jesus um, with the tears and wiping them with her hair. And I like the way Luke, Dr. Luke, leaves no stone unturned. Every motion, every action, reaction is given. Every detail within this account is so important. It speaks volumes. The woman was broken, humble, generous and courageous, meek as a lamb, yet as brave as a lion. Oh, don't you like it? Wow. She heard that Jesus was there and against all odds broke through the barriers of discrimination and fear and anger and did what her faith in Jesus was compelling her to do, overcoming her fear of rejection by pouring out her love for Jesus Christ. What an act of love and her love was motivated by her faith. Love follows faith. This is a really important, please get this and understand this, that love follows faith. It doesn't precede it. Don't put the horse in, in front of the, the car. Love will follow faith. It was her faith in Jesus Christ. God did that work in her heart. Jesus said to her, your love didn't save you, your faith saved you. Your faith in me. And there are different types of faith that you read about in the Bible. For example, we read of intellectual faith. James chapter 2, verse 19. You believe there is one God? You do well because even the demons believe and they tremble. So, intellectual faith. I'm going to preach a message once, so I'm going to title it, The Devil is No Atheist. 
The demons believe. They tremble. There's a lot of intellectual faith. You know, a lot of people you meet on the highways and byways of life. Oh, yeah, I believe. I believe there is some higher power. I believe that yeah, there must be some person. And yeah, you believe it's God. Yeah, I sort of believe that too. So they've got intellectual faith. That's not the faith that this woman had. There's emotional faith where you, you that faith that works on the emotions but it doesn't reach the inner deeper recesses of your human heart there's that sort of faith there's temporal faith for example the sower who went out to sow some seed that you read about in Matthew chapter 13 and some fell on the stony soil and then later on you get the interpretation of it all and Jesus says the seed that fell on the stony soil is like the person who hears the word of God and receives it immediately with joy but then because the soil is so shallow and the sun beats down on it he says persecution and tribulation and all these other things come and it drops away and it dies so we've got temporal faith there's a lot of and there's others as well but we don't have time to go into those but this woman had saving faith Romans chapter 1 verse 17 the just shall live by by faith saving faith the Bible says we are saved by faith we grow by faith we live in faith we walk by faith and the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to please God you cannot please God unless you have saving faith. Intellectual faith doesn't please God. Emotional faith doesn't please God. Temporal faith doesn't please God. But saving faith in Jesus Christ, God's Son, pleases Him. So what are you trusting in? A church? a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, an evangelist, yourself, or whatever, a religion. Friends, there's only one person to trust in. It's like this woman. She trusted in Jesus. She, she must have heard about him from somewhere. And the Bible says that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That is why it is paramount to take the word of God out to people because through hearing the word of God they will come to faith in Jesus Christ in God's appointed time. And that's what we pray for all the time. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Friends, it is not faith as an entity within itself. Faith is linked to something. I remember hearing a preacher once, and he said, just believe, just believe. Well, I said, well, we'll qualify that. Well, I mean, believe in what? What are you believing in? I mean, so many people, I believe, I believe, I believe. Yeah, but what do you believe? What do you believe in? Tell me, what do you believe in? So here, this woman believed in Jesus Christ. 
She had a bad reputation. She was weeping and washing his feet. And, um, and the Greek tense is continually to kiss his feet. And it's the same Greek tense that is used when the, uh, the prodigal son comes home to his father. You know the story in Luke chapter 15. And where the father sees the son as he comes back home and the father runs out to the son and embraces him and puts his arms around him and kisses his neck, the verbal tense is continually kissing his son. And here she is, doing this to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Simon began to muse in his mind and heart about the changing scene that was unfolding right before his eyes. Whoa, what's going on here? Now, he would have expected Jesus as the rabbi to do what? Well, reject her. Hey, what are you doing? Get away. I don't want you. Who invited you? Now, that would, Simon would have been happy with that reaction. But Jesus didn't do anything like that. And Simon says within himself, if this man were a prophet, he should know what sort of woman she is because she is a sinner. She is one mean, wicked, bad person. And if you're the rabbi, you should know. You can just imagine him. You can just read his body language as a screaming this message out. But Jesus knew perfectly well who this woman was and perfectly well who the Pharisee was. Because Jesus reads hearts and minds. Isn't that good? Jesus knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. And neither is there anything that is not naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. All things are naked and open before him. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13. Proverbs 15 verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God sees everything past, present and future. Now how good is that? How good is that to know that God knows your life, past, present, future? He's in control. He's perfectly in control. And he addresses Simon by name. I like that because there were other people there. And if he used the word you... Well, somebody may have thought, well, it's, it might be the you plural. But no, it's Simon. Simon. I love the way that Jesus breaks into a narrative here. You know, there's so much, if, you've got, if you're a parent and you've got kids, there's so much to learn about teaching your kids lessons in life, life skills by the use of stories, parables, analogies, types. There's so much in the Bible about that that you can learn. 
We can learn growing up as adults, as middle-aged, as elderly and grandparents. Teach your children. Teach them these things by use of stories. Simon, there were two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and another one 50. Well, a denarii was one day. So what's a day's pay, an average day pay? $300? Let's just work on 300. Well, times that by 50 and we get 15,000. Times it by 500, we get $150,000. Let's just put it in the Australian equivalent here. So we've got somebody who owes 15,000, the other one who owes 10 times more. Wow, now there's a big difference between owing someone that smaller amount and then that larger amount of money. So Simon, what this creditor did was he simply forgave them both and cancelled all their debts. How good is that? Hey, wouldn't that be good? Have you got a mortgage on your home or something? Or you're paying something off and then they just say, give you a ring, oh yes, or an, an email or whatever, and just say, well, if it was an email, you probably wouldn't believe it with all the stuff going on. But if you did find out, you know, with a proven letter that, you know what, you don't need to pay that. It's all being paid for by somebody else. How good is that? Wow, you'd be over the moon, wouldn't you? And especially the higher the debt that you've accrued, well, wouldn't you be more excited and happier about that? And here's the point. Simon, who's the biggest sinner here? You're looking at the woman who's, who, yeah, okay, outwardly, overtly, it looks, it would appear that she is the biggest sinner. But look at how much she has been forgiven. She has been forgiven much. That's why she loves much. But somebody who forgives little only loves little. There's so much in that. Simon, look at you. You're pointing the finger of accusation at this woman. I love the way that Jesus got the way of just turning the finger back, back at himself by use of these stories. And now it's Q&A. Tell me, Simon, who do you think out of these two debtors would love him more? Notice what Simon does. He, he comes out with a presupposition. I suppose the one to whom he forgave more. I suppose. Now, he responded with an air of haughtiness. It was like he's caught in a trap and he knows exactly where this is going. He would have been switched on. He's, he's, he's sharp. He was no... Ignoramus. He knew exactly where this was leading. Well, I suppose, yeah, the one to whom he forgave more. And Jesus said, you've rightly judged Simon. You've rightly judged 
And now Simon. I've come into your home. You didn't give me any water to wash my feet. But from the moment I've come in, this woman has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss. But this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my hair and head with this costly fragrance. Three things that you did back then. So if you and I lived 2,000 years ago and we invited somebody around to our home, what would we do? The three things that you did was, first of all, you greeted them. So you'd place your hand on their shoulder and you give them a kiss on the cheek, number one. Secondly, you would have water there in a basin and then you would, uh, you would get that or you'd call your servants, whoever, and they would uh, wash your feet. And thirdly, you would have some nice sweet-smelling sweet incense or aroma with some rose petals, a nice fragrance that you would sprinkle over their head. Those three things you would do if you had a via, somebody a guest around to your home for dinner. That's just that was the standard. But Simon didn't do any of the three things. And I love the way that Jesus goes straight to the crunch. He takes out his arrow and hits the bullseye every time. Simon, do you see your heart? Here I am. I'm the rabbi. You call me rabbi or, or master or teacher. You haven't done any of these for me. You have not done any of these. Friends, we are saved by grace through what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. But so often, friends, we just fail to see that and we still think that we have to do this or we fail sins of omission and commission and we're all guilty. And I'm certainly not pointing the finger at the Pharisee because so how often do I display those same manifestations of being so caught up with me rather than looking to Christ and praising and thanking him. Simon the Pharisee, though, he was a legalist, a finger pointer. The letter of the law killed. Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. And friends, are were you guilty? of pointing the finger at someone, just like the Pharisee? Have you ever considered the exorbitant debt that you owe? It's all to do with Jesus. Jesus cancels all debts and forgives us of all our sin. And the Bible says in Psalm 103 verse 12 that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions and sins from us. Don't you like that? It's not north and south, it's east and west and we all know why. Praise God for that. 
They are forgiven and they are forgotten past, present and future. And Jesus said, and the tense is perfect tense, and the perfect tense is completed action in the past with an ongoing result. You have been forgiven. Your sins have been forgiven. You, you can go and you can leave as a forgiven person. Do you know the three of the most beautiful words to hear? I forgive you. They are three of the most beautiful words that you can ever hear in your life. And you've done something wrong to someone and you've done something really bad to someone and they come and they put their hand on your shoulder and say, you know what, I forgive you. I forgive you for what you've done to me. Wow. And Jesus has forgiven us. And that's why grace comes alive when we see what Jesus Christ has done for us, not what we do for him, but what he has done for us. And that's why we glorify God. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. Now let's have a look at the bigger picture. And it's something that we probably don't see. Do you know the drawing took place of this woman before she actually entered this, taken by surprise. Oh, whoa, wow, here's this woman. Oh, wow, what's she doing to my feet? No, he was waiting for her. It was all in accordance with God's perfect plan of redemption. He was waiting for her. And he knew that in so many minutes and so many seconds, she's going to come, leave her home, she'll break through, and she'll come and anoint my feet. And she will leave this place of forgiven, and she will leave with peace in her heart, because the last word we read is shalom, peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Verse 50, the last verse, shalom. Peace. Oh, how good is that? That is so good. So who's the creditor? Well, it's Jesus Christ. Who's the debtor? You and I. We are all indebted to God. Laid on him the iniquity of us all. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, his son. And you know, you meet people. Yeah, but I'm pretty good. I keep this law and that law and that law. Do you really? Because if you fail in one area, James chapter 2 verse 19 says we are guilty. Um, uh, correction, James chapter 2 verse 10, we're guilty of breaking the whole law. So you can try and keep the whole law. You fail in one area, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. You're a transgressor. You're a lawbreaker. Because with the Lord Jesus Christ, the only, ex, um, the only thing that is acceptable with him is absolute perfection. So no sin in mind, word, deed. So who's there? Who can put their hand up and say, that's me, I've never sinned. You've got the DNA of Adam and Eve in your blood. It's there. 
But Jesus came to pay a debt. I remember at youth group, um, we used to sing a song. He paid a debt he did not owe. I owe a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song. Amazing grace the whole day lie could never pay. Who forgives sins? Jesus does. 1 John 1 9, it's our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all, underline, underscore all, all unrighteousness. Who saves people from their sin? Jesus does. Matthew 1 21, and she shall bring forth a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Who saves us from our sins? Jesus does. Who makes people new in Christ? Jesus does. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Jesus Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Jesus makes new people through what he's done on the cross for them. Who satisfies the deepest longings of our heart? Jesus does. Remember the woman at the well. And Jesus said to her in John 4, 13 and 14, whoever drinks of this water in the well, he's referring to, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him or her will be in him or her a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And then we read of the woman who said to him, Sir, give me of this water that I thirst not, neither come back here to draw water from. And we know the end of the story. She went away singing and came back bringing others to the water that was not in the well. Friends, it's Jesus. It's all. And millions and millions of people are walking around our planet today and they're carrying around a load of sin, of guilt. And there's only one person and one person alone who can deal with that. And he is the doctor par excellence, the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you're carrying around some guilt. Maybe it's something that happened to you in the past. Maybe you're saying, I cannot forgive myself what I have done. Or maybe it's something that somebody did to you a long time ago. And you're not able to deal with that. And it's affecting your somatic, your psychological, your mental and your spiritual life. Friends, the good news is today you can receive healing for that through what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's not in a preacher, a teacher, a pastor, evangelist. It is only in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone. And that's why Jesus said to, to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Why did, why did the people have to look to the serpent? Because everyone who looked to the serpent was healed from the, uh, the venom of these serpents. And friends, we've all been injected with the venom called sin, and there's only one remedy 
the panacea is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has come into this world to die for you and I, to be buried and to rise again on the third day and to live forevermore. And he is now our interceding high priest in the heaven. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's the words of a song that go, millions have come. There's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Have you come? Have you come to Jesus? Have you laid down your burden to him at the foot of the cross, saying, Jesus, here I am. I'm like that woman. My heart's broken for you. Take me, use me, mould me, shape me. You're the potter and I'm the clay. And may I be used for your glory and for your honour. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, that you are the same yesterday, today and forever. We thank you, Lord, that you are the healer. I am the Lord that healeth thee. We thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus, your Son, whoever looks to the Son will be saved. Look unto me and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am the Lord and there is no other. And Father, I pray that if there's anybody here today that is still carrying around that load of guilt and of sin and shame that they'd come to you today. And we know you forgive, you wash clean, you dress us in robes of righteousness. You accepted as children, us as children of God into the family of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should call the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it knew him not. Father, we thank you and praise you for the honour, the privilege it is to be your sons and daughters. And for those of us, Lord, that know you, that you've known you, Lord, for a long time now, but you've known us before we knew you. You loved us before we loved you. We thank you and praise you for this wonderful truth. May we go out this week again into the highways and byways, the schools, the universities in our places of work and retirement villages and nursing homes, wherever we may come from, wherever we reside. God, we would be a sweet-smelling fragrance and aroma of you that permeates within our, our environment, Lord, and so that others might look to you and think, wow, that person's got something that I don't have. So that, Father, that may elicit a response within their hearts and lives and we can point them to Jesus, the one who is the way, the truth and the life. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. And all God's people said, Amen.